You're listening to the Bravehearted Voices podcast. In this podcast, we feature sermons that deeply stir us toward Jesus Christ and living fully for His glory. As you listen to this powerful collection of communicators from yesteryear, it is our desire that you be stirred to live a life fully given to Jesus Christ and discover a Christianity that actually works. And in verse 45, you will note he is, um, it is noontime. He has been on the cross since nine in the morning. And then from noon till three, there's darkness over all the land. And then between verse 45 down through verse 50, uh, you have those scenes taking place where there's a lot of mockery going on and blasphemy happening. But in verse 50, the climax to the whole thing takes place. And this is what you read. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. It's no question that the very foundation of the book of Matthew, and as you investigate it, you see this over and over again, is the, is the driving purpose he has. The driving purpose he has is to convince the Jews that Jesus was and is the kingly Messiah. But you see, the Jews have one major problem with this Jesus being a Messiah, and that is the crucifixion. And yet Matthew spends one half of his chapters in this book dedicated to the subject, just going after it with all of he's got, going after this business of the cross. And yet that nullifies this Jesus from being a Messiah. And in the mind of the Jew, it is an overwhelming stumbling block. They just cannot conceive in their mind how Jesus could be a Messiah and die on a cross. How could you be the deliverer of Israel when you can't even deliver yourself? It just doesn't add. Now, the reason it doesn't make any sense to them is because they have a focus. The Jews are focused on the physical. Well, weren't they religious? Oh, yeah. Very religious. But you see, even their religion was physical. See, they went to a physical building and did physical ceremonies and put physical offering in a physical offering plate. And they had physical laws that they physically kept and they could measure. And I'm better than you are because I do more than you do because I'm all in the physical I can, I, and I can measure. And their whole religion was wrapped up in this, this physical focus. Now, you can understand if you're totally focused on the physical and you come to a crucifixion, it's ridiculous that Jesus could be the deliverer of Israel when he's in overwhelming de defeat because that's what the physical tells you. See, if you focus on the physical, you'll do exactly what the disciples did. You'll run to an upper room, you'll lock yourself in, and you'll just get scared over every creak of the board because you know that somebody's going to come and get you and they're going to put you and you're going to go into the same kind of physical. See, if your focus is strictly on the physical, you'll do exactly what the leaders of Israel did. You will stand and mock. Why wouldn't you mock? Hey, look at him. He talked so big. He did so many things. Look at him now. It's... Mockery time. 
If you are focused on the physical, you'll do exactly what the bypassers did. Why wouldn't you? All they know about Jesus is what they read out of the Enquirer. They're coming, driving by, going out of town for the weekend. They see him hanging on a cross. All this stuff he said, look at what he's doing. And blasphemy begins to spill out of their mouth. All because they have one single focus. It's the focus of the physical. See, if you're focused on the physical, you'll do exactly what the people surrounding the cross did in verse 46 and 40, or 47, 48, and 49. You'll say, hey, he's calling for Elijah. You'll turn the whole thing into a joke. But why wouldn't you? Because your whole focus is right there on the physical. Can you imagine being focused on the physical, making all your judgments out of the physical view, thinking you're doing the right thing, thinking you're dead on, thinking you see all there is to see, and suddenly having your eyesight lifted until you realize that that's only half the world and there is a whole other realm that changes the whole perspective of things and it's the realm of the spiritual. And you missed it! Can you imagine the inside horror of finding out, oh my Jesus, what have I done? I've been locked in on the physical. I thought I was doing the right thing. I judged people. I made all of these decisions based on, but I didn't. My little pea brain was locked in this little slot and I missed the whole... I'm riding into Jerusalem on a great white steed. Hey, I'm all dressed up. Got all my medals to my chest. I look sharp. I got a whole crew of guys with me. I'm talking about all my soldiers. I'm riding in in pomp and glory. Man, this is real leadership. Physical. Jump into the spiritual realm and suddenly you'd see that as total, absolute stupidity. Here is a man riding into Jerusalem on a donkey with his sleeves rolled up, the rough hands of a carpenter and the sandals of the people ready to lay his life out for a world. And you stand in awe and say, whoa, real leadership. I'm so important. You know how I know? Telephone rings all day long. You know how I know? People clamor all over me. You know how I know? People just anxious to serve me. You know how I know? People just bound up my feet. You know how I know? People just anxious to wash my feet. I'm important. But crawl into the... And suddenly you see the absolute stupidity of this. And suddenly the whole scene shifts because now you're looking from the spiritual perspective and you see, oh, the King of kings and Lord of lords has got his sleeves rolled up. He's washing. That's real importance. Oh, I'm successful. Want to know how I know? <laughs> Man, I can grab the phone. Demand my rights! And people jump and I get what I want. I'm successful. Physical. Crawl into the spiritual realm. See the absolute stupidity of that thing. I am successful. How do you know? 
because I have given up my rights. And this is not about me. This is about you and everybody else. This is not about what I want. This is about what he wants. And I've died to my rights. And real success is found not in demanding my rights and getting them. It's found in giving up my rights. Then he might flow. Can you imagine the overwhelming sinking feeling that takes place in the Jews as they suddenly begin to grasp a little bit of their whole view has been all wrapped up in this physical focus. And there is a whole world they've missed. And their decisions have been wrong. And their ideas have been stupid. And all they've yelled about has been idiotic. And all of their PhD and all of their study and all the fat bits books they've written and all the little rules they've kept, suddenly they see they've missed the whole thing because they've missed the whole realm of the... And what looked in the physical as overwhelming defeat was overwhelming spiritual victory. And they missed it. Now, how do you take a group of people who are locked into this physical and how do you just boot them right out of that thing? How do you take a group of people who are just so locked into the physical view? How do you lift them into the realm of the spiritual until they can begin to see the real life as it really is? Well, Matthew's doing that. That's his challenge. And it's interesting that he takes physical Symbols which have overwhelming spiritual connotation to them. Hoping that as they see the physical, they will suddenly begin to grasp the spiritual and it will become alive to them. And he gives them three of them. The veil. Oh yes, the veil. Look at verse four, uh, 51. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Oh, the second one is, the earth quaked and the rocks were split overwhelming physical but you see in that physical view of a veil being ripped and rocks being split and earthquaking there is this tremendous spiritual parallel and the hope is that they will get a hold of the physical oh, but grab a hold of the spiritual because something is happening in the unseen world and then he gives a third and the graves were Opened. Now, in every single one of these, the key word is liberation. See, the whole deal about the veil was that the veil being ripped was a liberation of the mysteries of the Old Testament. See, the overwhelming significance of the graves, the rocks are split and the earth is quaking. It's the overwhelming liberation of the focus of the physical and now the graves, the opening of the graves is a liberation of the traditions of the past. Wow. Now we want to look at that. It's verse 52 and verse 53. And as you look at verse 52 and 53, this symbol, I know it would be easy to get confused if you just glanced at it at first glance. You would think, oh, the great symbol here is resurrection. That's the big deal. And you just tear into that whole thing about, hey, saints are walking around who were dead. They had fallen asleep. Now they're alive. Wow, resurrection. And you just run wild with that. And that's okay. That's an overwhelming truth. But, and Matthew's going to get to that. But, I mean, I wouldn't contradict you on that, but. That's not the message here. That, he's saving that for Jesus and the resurrection in chapter 28. Here, the symbol is not about resurrection. Some people have taken these two verses and tried to say, well, the big deal here is that Jesus went into the grave three days, you know. He was among the dead and he preached to the captive and he liberated... Ah, these are the guys that were liberated. He liberated the saints. But you see, 
all of the saints weren't liberated. It just says many of them. Did he pick some and didn't pick? And you got a lot of problems with that. That's not the deal here. The deal here, the symbol is the word grave. Now, it's not just any graves, you'll notice. But the graves were open in many bodies of the saints. It was the graves of the saints which pinpoints what was happening in Jerusalem. They had these graves of the old prophets and they, they whitewashed them, you remember? And they made monuments out of them. They were memorials and they were all a part of their tradition and their past. So the graves he's talking about here, literally they point to the graves that were memorials, that were monuments to the great history in the past of the Jews. So that's what he's trying to tell us. The grave is a symbol of the past. Now Matthew just didn't make this up, you understand. This is a playoff. This is a climax to what he's already been telling us. Oh, let me review with you. It's Palm Sunday. Jesus is riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem, presenting himself as the king of kings. Two and a half million people are going wild over him. The Pharisees are so startled, they say the whole world's gone after this man. Monday, Jesus comes back. That's Sunday. Monday, he comes back. Marches right into the temple. Tips tables upside down. Whoo! I'd have loved to have been there. I mean, he messed that place up. By the time he got done, they knew somebody had been there. In fact, he's left now. He comes back on Tuesday. Stands right up in the middle of the debris of yesterday's activity. So Sunday, Palm Sunday, March. Monday, cleanse the temple. Tuesday, he's come back to teach. Now, Tuesday... All day long, he's teaching. Oh, but they stopped him. And they asked him all these trick questions. And it was a whole day of trick questions. And he closes that thing in chapter... He closes that day in chapter 23. In fact, I'd like for you to turn to it. And in chapter 23, he begins his last preached sermon. In fact, if you had the red, let, red letter edition, you'll note that all of chapter 23 are the words of Jesus. He started his ministry with a sermon on the mount. He's ending it with this overwhelming message. This is his last. Oh, what would you preach if you knew this was the last time you would ever preach? What would you preach? This is it. His last sermon. The Pharisees are gone. The multitudes are there. The disciples are there, and you'll notice that he tells us that in verse 1. And then Jesus leans into the moment. He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's not bullwhipping the Pharisees. That's not what he's doing here. He's talking to the multitudes, and he's talking to his disciples, and he's warning them, don't, don't, don't get into what the Pharisees are in. Don't get gripped by what they're gripped by. Don't get sucked in to what they're sucked into. What are they sucked into? Their past. Don't be dominated by what they're dominated by. What are they dominated by? Their tradition. Don't be captured by what they're captured by. Well, what are they captured by? Their past. And Jesus, in verse 26, down through about verse 35, 36, uses this whole symbolism of the grave 
Look at verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Start with this. Graves are a symbol of the past. Now, to help you grab a hold of that, let me tell you about the Jewish upbringing. Hey, you're a boy in a Jewish home. Where, where do you go to school? Oh, they send you down to the synagogue. Who's going to be your teacher? Oh, he's the rabbi. So you know good and well this whole thing, all your upbringing, all your teaching, everything you're going to learn down, down, at the, down at the school is going to be what? Religion, man. And what was the whole religion of the Jews? It was all based upon this tradition of the past. So every day you go down to the synagogue and what does the rabbi tell you? The stories of the Old Testament. He gives you the traditions of the Old Testament. He tells you about the laws of the Old Testament. He walks you through all of these old time chants. You memorize the Psalms. You go through this thing. You're just rehearsing all of the age-old stories of the past. What our forefathers did, where we came from, the meaning of our nation and our race. You just... And that's the teaching you go through day after day. And it isn't just that. But see, the father of the household, he didn't leave the teaching up to the school system. No, no. God had instructed him well. And a Jewish father every night would gather his kids around him. And as he set his kids around the fire, he would start it and he would rehearse the what? The stories of the old, the past. The stories of the Old Testament. And it wasn't just that. It wasn't just the school teaching. And it wasn't just the home training. Even their holidays revolved around it. The feast days. What were they all about? Oh, the past. The Passover week, which this chapter is all about, is what? All about Egypt land and all about deliverance from the death angel. And every year they gathered their family together, slaughtered a lamb, they ate together, and then after they got done eating, they chanted the Psalms and they told this old, old story all about the past. See, the whole thought process of the Jew, the whole upbringing, everything he was taught from the synagogue to his home to his holidays, everything drove him to what? All about the past. And the grave was the symbol of that. For here was the old time prophet, dead and buried, but we made a monument out of him and we literally whitewashed him and we came and paid homage to him for he was the symbol of the past. The past, the past. Did you know we're just like that? Oh, yeah. We're constantly dealing with our past. Our framework of reference is our past. All we do and think is shaped by our past. I got a few problems and I go to the psychiatrist or to the counselor and you know what he immediately talks to me about? My past. Oh, yeah. In fact, let me read to you right out of the Dictionary of Psychology. Defining the field of psychology. By studying human behavior in its many manifestations. Oh, human behavior in its many manifestations. Yeah, that's psychology, studying human behavior. How are you going to study human behavior? Oh, the past. By studying the human behavior in many manifestations, the psychologist ultimately hopes to understand the nature of man. How are you going to understand the nature of man? Study his activities in the past. 
By studying the human behavior in its many manifestations, the psychologist ultimately hopes to understand the nature of man, his desires, hopes, fears, abilities, and limitations. Indeed, it might be said that, the psycholo that psychology, broadly speaking, is a search for the answer to the age-old question, what is man? Well, how are you going to find out what is man? Oh, study his behavior in the past. See, I've got a problem in the present. Well, where'd that problem come from? The past. So how am I going to find the answer to the present problem? I'm going to investigate the past. And by investigating the past, I'll find out what the problem was as it was rooted in my past. So all the solutions to my present are somehow tied into my past. Sounds just like the Jews, doesn't it? Where were you born? What was your childhood like? Did your dad drop you on your head? What happened to you? All an analysis of, that's why I am the way I am. My past! And my present spills out of... We have our own graves. The graves are the symbol of the past. But go one more step with me here from this passage. Graves are a symbol of the past. Past. Oh, don't leave me now. Past. Stick with this. Past is the spirit of the dead. Now, Matthew is taking a physical symbol and he's trying to lift the Jews into a spiritual view. Oh, look at what he does. Verse 27, physical. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like physical whitewashed tombs, which appear physical, beautiful outwardly, but inside physical, are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. That's a whole physical view. Now look what he does. He takes that whole thing and moves it into a spiritual. Here comes the spiritual. Even so you are, you outwardly appear righteous, that's spiritual, to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy, Spiritual and lawlessness. Spiritual. See what he's done? Well, where'd you get this hypocrisy and this lawlessness? From your dad. Where did he get it? From his dad. Where did he get it? From his dad. And go back in the past and you'll find out that the spirit that possessed your grandpa has now possessed your father. And the spirit that possessed your father now possesses you. And you wonder why you are the way you are. Because your whole family is... Now, he's not talking about you, of course. He's talking about Jews. And you are possessed with the spirit of the dead. Now, we'll just take a little intermission here. Because I know that if you don't listen closely, somebody's going to go out here and say, Manly said that the spirit of my dead father has come back and possessed me. <laughs> Does he mean reincarnation? See, in the Old Testament, there was Sheol. The very definition of the word means grave, shadowy, ghostly, 
foggy grave. Sheol had two compartments in the Old Testament. Paradise, Hades. Paradise was a parallel of the coming heaven. Hades was a parallel of the coming hell. And while Hades was not hell, it was a parallel too. And while paradise was not heaven, it was a parallel too. And here was Sheol in the Old Testament. People died and they went into this grave. It was a temporary, it was a, it was a probation, it was a, it was a temporary deal, a setup, waiting for the... In fact, in the Old Testament, there were occasions when they called people back from the dead. The witch at Endor. Saul came and said, I want to talk to Samuel who had died. And they called Samuel back from paradise. And he came back and carried on a conversation with Saul. But Jesus Christ died, went into Sheol, and that thing closed, brother. And a heaven and hell was established, and you don't call people back from the dead now. Even if you do have a crystal ball. You don't call people back from the dead now. And to die is to be present with the Lord. This is gone. Now we're into, and there are no floating ancestors, spirit of ancestors floating around in the... Did my dad just go by? No, he didn't. So we're not talking about the actual spirit of your father now floating around possessing you. We're talking about the same internal attitude that he had, the same internal spirit that gripped him, the same thing that went on in your forefathers has now come and is gripping you, and you're passing that down to your kids, and it's the spirit of the dead, for it's the same spirit that possessed your dead forefather that now possesses you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let's get a little closer with it. Um, my dad was a pastor. We usually, uh, he usually had two churches, usually a small town church and a country church. He was an old farm boy himself, so the farmers loved him because they when they wanted to go on vacation, it was easy for them to ask him, will you milk my cows, take care of my uh, stock? And he was glad to do it. Of course, I got in on that. I was 10, 11, just a boy that loved to go. One Sunday morning, vaguely remember it, can't see the details, couldn't take you there. But one Sunday morning, early, before church, we're out going to milk the cows. My dad asked me to get something, as I remembered, and I took off to go get that. And as I passed down through the stalls where the cows were, one cow... Evidently thought I was a cat. And she took after me. Well, it only lasted ten seconds. I know. It was just a ten-second interval in a ten, eleven-year-old boy's life. I know. It was no big deal. Easy for you to say. You can't hardly remember it. I know it. It never happened again. I understand that. It was just a 10 second. And that cow kicked. And I never got over it. You got bruises? No. Scars? No. 
But something in that 10-second interval reached out and grabbed me in my insides. And I've never been the same. I've been possessed with that from that moment to this. I still, to this hour, have a difficult time walking behind large animals. Well, how has that affected your life? I've never become a real horseman. All because of, about 90 years ago, kick of the cow. And I never got over it. So, oh, let's magnify that a little bit. Let's play with that a little bit. Kick of the cow. Suppose it wasn't a 10-second interval. Suppose it was sexual abuse by your father. Suppose it happened one time, two times, three times, four times, five times, six, seven, two years, three years, four years, five years, from a young age to a... All of a sudden, your whole view of marriage, all of a sudden, your whole sexuality, all of a sudden, your whole, your whole view of husband, all of a sudden, your whole view of society, all of a sudden, your whole view of home, all of a sudden, your whole view of kids, all of a sudden, your whole view of... It's the kick of a cow. And something has reached out and grabbed a hold of you. And you are possessed by the spirit of the dead. Your past has got you. Play with a little more. Oh, we're at dinner time. It's Sunday dinner. A nice two or three couples are there. It's, it's, it's a nice, lovely dinner. We're sitting at a person's home. Yes, it was a lovely home. As we were sitting there, a uh, pastor was sitting there. Others were sitting there. Uh, one of the men, we noticed, oh, some noticed more than others, but we noticed that there was, well, it was, probably no marriage problems, but there was just an undercurrent. It was like, he was demeaning to her. It was like, it was like she was, and she reacted to it, and there was, and there weren't any words. No, it was just kind of a, you just kind of sensed it. In fact, the man was talking, and as he was talking, he was talking about somebody in the church, as I remember it, and he was talking about a lady in the church who had some official position, and she didn't do too well in that position because she, well, she didn't, she couldn't keep, and she didn't, and she wasn't, and he left it at that, and everybody sat there, and Oh, things got very quiet at that. His six-year-old boy sat next to him. His six-year-old boy, in the dead silence, after his father had finished demeaning this woman in the church, wrinkled up his lip and said, Well, women aren't good for much anyway. Oh, everybody around the table almost laughed. We didn't. 
kick of the cow, brother. Take that boy right out of there, man. 40 years down the road, how's he going to treat his wife? 40 years down the road, how he's going to look at women. How he's going to treat his own daughter. How he's, and where did it all come from? Right out of his dad, who probably got it from his dad. And they possessed by the spirit of the dead. Kick of the cow. Let's come a little closer. Some of you won't relate to this at all. It's okay. It's my own thing. See, some of us were raised in the conservative. Oh, not here, but you know where I come from? Indiana. And you know what Indiana is? Bible Belt. And you know there's the Bible Belt, and I suppose you're, you're, you're six or seven uh, holes down the line on the on the belt, but you see the Bible belt. You got this buckle, and then you got this hole where that goes through, and it's. I was born right in that hole. And some of us had revival service after revival service after revival service. You know, two week revivals and evangelists breathing fire. Just as I am, eighteen verses. Hellfire and brimstone. We heard sermons like, homosexuals are all going to hell. Smoke a cigarette and God is ticked. Go out of this service tonight, brother. And then we'd hear stories about young men who left and got run over with trains. Kick of the cow, son. And we were raised in the spirit of legalism. Don't you read your Bible? Yeah. Don't you still pray? Oh, yes. Don't you tie down to the scent? Do you ever miss Sunday school? No. And always come on time, too. Afraid not to. Are there any converted homosexuals in your church? Well, no. Why not? homosexual and feel comfortable around here because we set up such walls and we say we had such spirit about us and we were so homosexuals are going to hell we 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 and we got our nice family church but and I want you to know brother there's no cigarette butts on our parking lot Because nobody comes who smokes because we kick of the cow and we've never gotten over it it possessed us and our whole religion is wrapped up in a doing and our whole religion is wrapped up in what we accomplish and we and if we perform right God will and while we say oh saved by grace yet the kick of the cow has got us great time with this in Missouri because I was able to tell those people 
I've heard about you for years. Did you know there's a, there's a, there's a cloud, there's an atmosphere that hangs over the state of Missouri? Oh, yeah. When I was growing, I came from school. It came from my history class. As we studied the states, we knew about the people in Missouri. In fact, they're even so proud of it now, they put it on their license plate. Show me. Why are you that way? Well, my dad was that way. Why was he that way? Well, his dad was that way. Why was... Well, his dad was... And his dad was... And... Kick of the cow, brother. And suddenly a whole state is possessed with something. Kick of the cow. And you are gripped by your past. What do you call that? Possessed. Now the ironic thing about it is that we're possessed by this kick of the cow and we're totally unaware of it. We walk around and say, well, it's just the way I am. Just the way I am, brother, just the way I am. Could it be it's not the way you are? Could it be you've never really been the way you are? Amen. Really are. Could it be that you've been possessed by and you've never, ever had an opportunity to be the way you really are? Because there's a cloud hanging over, there's a kick of the cow, and you've never, ever, ever been able to be the way you really are. Well, preacher, you don't need to worry about me. My earliest recollection is I rebelled against my father. So there's no kick of the cow in my life, man. I mean, there isn't anything about my father that possesses me. Look at this. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and you adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, oh, get this, and you say, well, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Hey, if I had been back there when my father was killing the prophets, whoo, don't you think I wouldn't have given him a piece of my mind? Hey, I rebelled against my parents, and I'm telling you, I didn't. Hey, wait, Hob, listen. We adorn the monuments of the prophets. Hey, our fathers killed them, but we adorn them. We, we wouldn't have. See, I'm not like my. Verse 31. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. And you're just like them. And while you say, I wouldn't have been, and if I'd have been back there, I wouldn't. And the kick of the cab didn't get me. Man, you don't even know what's going on in your own life. 
You are possessed by the spirit of the dead, exactly like your father was. And you end up acting just like he. Well, how do you know that? Oh, there's a test. See, you stood around and say, hey, I'm not like my father. And if I'd have been back there in the days of the prophets, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have nailed those prophets. No, sir. Verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I'll send you some prophets and we'll see. I'll send you some wise men and some scribes and we'll see. And I'll tell you what you're going to do to them. Some of them you will kill and cru oh, crucify. Oh. See, the spirit that gripped your forefather literally gripped him and he stoned the prophets. The same spirit gripped you. And you know what you're going to do? Crucify the Son of God. And all the time you're doing it. Well, I'm not like my forefathers. And the test will be given to you. And you can be a six-year-old boy sitting around a table saying, well, women aren't worth much, but I'm not like my dad. Let's see how you treat your wife. <sighs> this is really depressing, preacher. I know. You're talking in such generalities that you're, you, you act like every single one of us have the kick of the cow in our lives from our past and, and, and we're under the bondage and we're, and we're possessed by that kick of the cow and, and we're not really the way. I know what I'll do. I'm going to get out of it. Sure. Well, there's got to be something I can do about it. Not a thing. Well, I rebel against it. Dream on. I know what I'll do. I'll work my way through my past. And you know what you'll do? You'll spend hundreds of dollars and hundreds of person, personal hours and you'll walk yourself back through all your past and you'll lay it all, aha, my mother, I didn't know that, aha, my father, oh, and then my, aha, uh -huh. and then aha, uh -huh. and ho, ho, and whoa, and you'll have it all laid out and now you'll understand exactly what happened to you in your past and you still can't do a thing about it. Before you were ignorant and couldn't do anything about it. Now you're smart and you can't do anything about it. Well, I know what I'll do. I'll get, I'll, I'll learn 12 steps. Well, you act like the whole thing is hopeless and there's nothing dis but despair and I can't do a thing about this. That's exactly right. I hope you got that. Because that's Matthew's whole message. The graves are open. Physical symbol of what? A spiritual dynamic that has taken place in the unseen spiritual world. 
And as at the crucifixion, a veil was ripped down the middle. And as at the crucifixion, gray, at, at crucifixion, there was an earthquake and rocks were split. So at a crucifixion, the graves were opened and you don't need to adorn the monuments anymore because there's nobody dead in there now. And the past has been liberated. And there's nothing you can do about it because it's already been done. Would you, by an act of your will, release your past? You, you know what we call this? New creature. You don't have to be possessed anymore. Kick of the cow. Jesus. Ah, uh, we've all been there, Lord. We all understand this one. We've all walked through that barn. You don't have to liberate us tonight. Because you've already done it. This is not about what you're going to do. This is about what you've already accomplished. You have taken all of our past and all of the kick of the cow. And you sucked it right into yourself. And we are free. But some of us sitting here tonight, Jesus, we have buried this. We have covered this. We have hid this. We are so afraid of this. We're afraid to admit. We're afraid to reveal. We're afraid to tell each other for what they will think about us. So we bury it inside and we cover it, we work with it, we live with it, and we're never ever the kind of person we really could. And we've been to Walmart's and we believe that you've forgiven us, but all the time, Jesus, we wonder, have you really? And we have a very difficult time forgiving ourselves. Because we're still possessed by the kick of the cow 
and the monuments of the past. Liberate us tonight! Oh, better than that, Jesus, make us aware that you have already liberated us and that we are free and the devil's lied at us to us long enough and we don't have to be possessed heads about would you tonight Be willing to be a seeker. Would you tonight be willing just to seek Him in all of His fullness? Wherever you are in your spiritual journey seeking Him, in all of his greatness whatever you experienced up to this point just going after him with no barriers open hands yielding surrendering and in the process of that seeking surrendering all, anything, everything, kick of the cow. That's been holding you. Would you be willing to be a seeker to the point that even though you are not aware of any kick of the cow, you seek him so that all that you are unaware of he can take care of would you trust him so completely that you'd kneel at his feet as a seeker simply saying here I am Bring your established liberation to my life. By an act of my will, dear Jesus, I give you the grave of my past. The kick of the cow. I do not try to overcome it. I surrender to you who has overcome it. Would you seek with me tonight in freedom and in openness? Our altar is open for you. Bravehearted Voices is brought to you by the Ministry of Deeper Christian in partnership with Ellerslie Discipleship. 
Our passion is to help you grow spiritually by providing Christ-centered resources, discipleship, and training in the Word of God and the victorious life of Christ. Our agenda is to bring back the stuff of old, the sort of Christianity that is lived out with the gusto of heaven and actually and practically works. For more, visit BraveheartedVoices.com.